0: Welcome to the Talking Serverless podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Danilo Pocha, Principal Evangelist of Serverless at AWS, author of AWS Lambda in Action, and an avid serverless IoT, AI, and machine learning content creator. How are you doing today, Danilo?
1: Hi, Ryan. Thank you for for having me. Uh, It's a a great day. Uh, I'm working on lots of stuff, and I'm really looking forward to share something that I'm working on with you today. Perfect,
0: yeah, well, uh we're really excited to have you on the podcast, and I think that you know your background and what you do every day is probably really interesting to a lot of listeners out there um, to start it off though, do you mind talking through how your journey began and what it's kind of turned into?
1: uh yeah, yeah, so just to give you an idea, I worked with uh, in i t for my, my whole life, and uh now it's something like uh, I think it was two 2000- thousand 2011, 2012, I, I had access to uh, an AWS environment. Uh, I was working for another company at that time. And I said, wow, this is really much, much simpler than anything I've seen before. So I start and uh, to, to, to try to work for AWS and I start working as a solution architect. I was uh, doing uh, lots of things, and uh, but still uh, I was seeing that there was some complexity with customers, because when you build something large scale in the cloud, still you have to manage so many configurations. And then I heard about this internal project that then became uh, AWS Lambda. So it came out December 2014. And and, and for me, that was really a a moment in time that changed the way I I think about uh, software development.
0: Wow. Okay. So when you first heard about the internal project for AWS Lambda, what was the? How did that? How did you respond initially to it? Um, how did the company respond? Was there was there internal pushback at all around like the idea of it, or was it just completely like a whole new way of thinking?
1: Yeah. So uh, the idea was uh, how to make it simple. And uh, one thing that we always think you know, in 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 Amazon AWS is that you you need to break up large large complex. Stuff in smaller components. So the idea of using functions as the unit of computation of compute is really the, the is is really following this idea. Uh, it was it was something that was in line with uh, the way we were thinking. But of course, uh, at first, uh, the 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 idea was not uh, at least for me to use lambda to build almost any application. But it was a way to uh, simplify some small recurring problems. You now if if, if You may remember that probably the first six months uh, when Lambda was out, the, the only thing people was talking about is that you can use a Lambda function. You upload uh, an image on an S3 bucket, you know, this storage, object storage that we have, and then a Lambda function fires automatically and builds the thumbnails out of this image. So this was the recurring <laughs> story around Lambda. And then it grew so much out of that, but probably at the beginning, we didn't realize what we were launching.
0: Oh, okay, so at first it was it was very small use case, and then gradually it grew out and And when did the support uh, really start to come from the rest of the company?
1: Oh, the, oh I see that the first six months, no, uh, I'm like talking like an historian here, like at 2015, Lambda was pretty alone because there were no specific integrations out of I think S three kinesis for processing online streaming data uh but we start to see ramp up in interest uh at the time for example the the authentication service that that we have on well, amazon cognito was pretty young and uh, all the advanced features for uh, registering users what we now call uh user pools were still not out uh, so i built something from scratch uh using just lambda and static pages hosted on s3 uh, and, uh, and and I saw so much interest around that because it was so easy to, to, to run and deploy, and then you, you almost forget it because you, you deploy a few pages uh, on S3, and then the Lambda function were handling the authentication, the email verification, uh, all the, 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 the usual authentication stuff. I think it's still my most popular uh, uh, application on GitHub.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I could actually see that. We, we wrote an article a while back. Um... It's it wasn't in it wasn't in 2015 or but it was in uh, maybe like 2017 and it was on hosting a React website with S3 and that's been by far the most popular content that we've created. <laughs> uh, we've created a lot of deep dive articles since then on you know Lambda and you know all these type of concurrency things, but um, that one was the the one that most people latch onto, which is really cool. Um, and so and then kind of like rolling back a bit to uh, back to your career and how it started. What led you to being a Solution Architect?
1: I, I always like helping helping people. No? It's something that you, know, you you work with someone and, and, and you see in their eyes that you're helping them achieve what they want to build. So it's something that they, I always enjoyed. Uh, and I almost did this career for the rest of my previous work in life. Uh, when I joined AWS, it was such a small team, you know, talking about 2012, 2013, So I start to do also some more uh, public activities. So uh, uh, like doing a public presentation in an event. Uh, At the time, you could show uh, an EC2 instance starting up, and everybody was, wow, this is magic, because (laughs) it was really the early stages of the cloud. Uh, But it was... uh, So I start to see that I could make a different impact moving into a a different role that was more... Uh, trying to help more developers uh, uh, understand the value of this cloud thing that was coming to 2013, 2014. And so it slowly transitioned into this uh, this role uh, uh, of evangelist or developer relations. And I think it's one of these roles where nobody agrees with a single <laughs> job title.
0: Um, did that job already exist uh, with the developer evangelist, or was that something that got created gradually as the cloud grew uh, at AWS?
1: So at, at at AWS, we have Jeff Barr, that is now the leading uh, evangelist. And he's been there since the, the very beginning, even before uh, uh, AWS started. Uh, and uh, so it was an inspiration for us. Uh, but the evangelist team was very small. So when I joined again, uh, the, the, the evangelist team was, you can really count the whole team on the planet in, I think, one hand, uh, me included. Uh, and then now we, we've grown a lot because, especially you know, in Europe where we have so many languages, or also in Asia Pacific, we really want to get closer and help developers speak in their local language. Uh, for example, we just ran an event here in uh, online in Europe, and we, we we managed to translate into I think five or six different languages of the content. I think. Uh, sometimes when we do everything in English, we don't think about how language can still be a barrier, especially for advanced topics.
0: Yeah, well, that's a really good point. So, um, how, how often have y'all been translating new talks now into different languages?
1: Oh yeah, my I, I can speak this uh, poor English and, and my native Italian language, and uh, currently I'm much more used in speaking about technology in English. Uh, so everything I have to translate, I have to rehearse everything and to to be prepared because uh, everything that is technical, my brain is much more used to, to go on the English side now. But it's still common, and I, I like to contribute uh, with uh, with the local team in Italy. That's
0: fantastic. Um, and then, and then, kind of like you know, playing off of the, the your current job role, being a principal evangelist, um, what does your day to day look like? So,
1: as anybody who's working with AWS knows, we we launch so many things. So normally. Uh, I spend the first hour in the morning to understand what we actually launched the the, the day before. Uh, I'm in the UK time zone, so normally things happen very late in the evening before. So I, I try to understand everything that has been launched, some stuff I knew, some stuff is something that I didn't maybe know all the details uh then i try to 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 do the basic one to one communication with people in my team and emails and social media twitter uh, where i get people asking me questions suggestions tips and that's probably one of the most rewarding parts of <laughs> of my day uh and then i focus on more uh on more long term thinking so normally i try to build content uh in terms of uh, sample application uh or uh, uh articles blog posts uh, uh, that that can really tell a story and help people understand some some advantages of what we do. Uh, for example, uh, more recently, I was uh, one of the my last uh, blog posts that I wrote was about the the, the, the well architected tool because we launched the uh, the support for the serverless lands.
0: Yeah, no, that was actually one question that I was gonna I was gonna bring up as well was when it came to launching that article uh, around the well architected tool for serverless. Uh, do you mind giving the listeners an idea for like what that tool is and uh, what the serverless lens on it uh, means? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really important, especially for the serverless community.
1: So uh, the the well-architected framework is a set of documentation that we created over over the years. Uh, I was I remember when I was a solution architect in 2013, it was something that was already in discussion because we realized we can't. Uh, really help one to one all all customers. You now we have millions of customers. So to say, if we put all the su- suggestions, all the recommendation, uh, in in into pillars uh, about performance, security, cost optimization, for example, uh, then customers can can go on and, and and understand themselves what they can improve and they can work with partners. So this was the idea of building something scalable that, uh, for, uh, for for our customers uh and then a couple of years ago we realized that we could move it forward uh creating a, a self assessment tool so uh, it's actually no, the the tool is a service that you have in the ws console where you can go and you can self assess your your projects your your workloads uh to see if they follow the the suggestion that we give uh to be scalable to be uh as much as low cost as possible to be executed to be secure and uh and over time, we realized that some specific workloads uh, can have ad- additional guidelines, like, for example, a high-performance computing, but also serverless. So we created this lens that gives a different perspective to look at the, the architectural pillar that we normally try to uh, to, 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 to help. And the serverless lens, uh, as a document, has been there, I think, for a few years now. But now it's also in the tool. So if you create a serverless application, you can go there and you find these questions. The questions are really designed to be not AWS-specific. It's really helping you reason about what you're building and what you can improve. And then uh, you self-assess yourself and your workloads, your your serverless applications, and and we give you suggestions on how you can improve. So for example, uh, monitoring or security, uh, all the possible things that we can uh, share with you so that you can improve.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And so there's a serverless lens on it now. People can do it as a self-assessment tool. And yes. have do you all have any metrics around companies that are using it? Have you seen a lot of usage of this tool when it when it was released?
1: Uh, so I don't have specific numbers to share, but uh, there's lots of companies that were already using it uh, with serverless workloads, but they couldn't have the additional questions and assessment that the serverless lens provides. So uh, I was speaking, for example, with some. Uh, companies when I was in Belfast for several days in January, uh, and, uh, and they were really looking forward to that. Uh, and because it, it, actually this tool can be used in two different ways, because as a single uh, team, you can evaluate your own project, your own workload. Uh, but then uh, if you have a CTO, a CIO, you can see the overall status of all the projects that are self-assessed. So you can really monitor the overall risk of all the projects of the company. So it gives visibility uh, to where you need to focus your uh, your uh, CTO energy to to improve maybe an architecture or an application.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And so that kind of leads into another question, which would be, you know, you travel around, you talk to these different companies, they have the well-architected tool with serverless now. So what type of challenges are you seeing uh, common across different industries uh, when it comes to serverless?
1: So what... Uh... What I see is that uh, now serverless at, at the end, when you build a serverless application, you are building something that follows the guidelines of a microservices architecture. So serverless for me almost implies everything that is microservices in terms of guidelines and architecture. And uh, this uh, also implies that you're building a distributed architecture because you have lots of components that interact with each other, with latency, uh, with security, with networking. So what I see is that uh, when you start to move your uh, serverless architecture into a little bit more complexity, into building something more advanced than just a, a standalone mobile backend, for example, you start to see that you need to to learn lots of things all at once. And that's why I focus, for example, some of my uh, recent uh, recent uh, uh, con- recent content on ob- observability. Because I think uh, when you build something uh, serverless, it's very easy to have lots of components that interact with each other. And you need to have tools that gives you full observability of what is happening in your application. And if there is a problem, like something starts to slow down, uh, finding the root cause and uh, solving the problem as quickly as possible.
0: And so when it comes to observability, are there any tools or things that you recommend for people to uh, either... Alert off of or just have insight into no matter what their application is?
1: Well, observability is, I think it's a, it's a space in continuous development. Now, there are probably three, uh, three, three pillars again here you know, that, that that are the three classical pillars of observability you Now logging, metrics, and tracing. Uh, with logs, you get you know, the information from the software modules, uh, and, and you should have some standard with logging. Uh, with metrics, you get something more quantitative now. What what you're doing uh, in terms of infrastructure usage, but also in terms of uh, business usage. So my first suggestion, normally with observability, is don't focus only on the tooling, but focus as a developer on what you're building uh, to be observable, so that you don't build a black box. So, for example, it's very important that every module in your distributed architecture, serverless or not serverless, describes what it's doing in a public interface so for example if you have a uh, if you're managing transaction if you're managing sales you publish a metric that tells how many transaction per minute how many sales per minute you're doing and then you can correlate this with the, the traditional uh monitoring that you have like uh, the latency of the API and and the usage of the CPU if you're using something non-serverless but uh this is really important and it's the first step uh for a for tooling, there's lots of choice. So in AWS, we're lucky we have uh, some partners that build amazing tools. Uh, so if you if you look into in, uh, in our uh, serverless website on the AWS website, there's a serverless section. I can't mention all of them because it would be just a, a long list of names, but they all build great stuff. And we're also working to improve the tooling that we have. So CloudWatch, for example, is is a, is a great platform for logging metrics for analyzing logs uh, for uh, doing uh, lots of things lots of things that we added also more recently like uh, service lens that allows you to get tracing information from from uh, AWS that that is a service that we provide to understand the flow of of uh, of, of an, a transaction of a request in, inside your application Across different modules, and you can now centralize everything in CloudWatch. So you see the flow of your application. You can drill down into the logs. So this is the kind of tooling that you need. So, and we're working uh, as AWS and with our partners to, to to make it easier and easier.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for the breakdown on observability as well. And some service lens sounds uh, really interesting. And then uh, to kind of you know go to another layer of your past and like what you've done very recently. Uh, so you gave a talk with Sheen Bristles from Lego.com about them moving to Serverless. So, what was it? What was it like being involved in that process? And were there any big takeaways? Oh yes,
1: because uh, talking with uh, and working with customers to see how they are implementing, uh, uh, getting their feedback. You no know, part of, of, of my job is also to get the feedback from customers and bring it back to our product teams so that they can understand what's really important to our customers where they can improve. Uh, our roadmap is uh, 95% based on this kind of feedback that we get from customers. So working with Shin was really interesting because Lego is is one of my favorite companies. I, I grew up uh, really playing with Lego building blocks and uh, as a matter of chance you know, in, in AWS, we also o- often use the, the, the building blocks analogy to explain how you can use services from a cloud provider and connect them together to build a a more complex application. So when I started working with with Shin, uh, I was really amazed by this the, the things that they're building. Uh, you know, all the e-commerce website of of, of Lego uh, is completely serverless, and uh, and uh, and they are sh- and Shin is really vocal in sharing you know, everything that they learn. One of the things that I really was impressed by was the way they are moving into a, an event-driven architecture. So. Uh, an architecture where the business logic of what they do in, inside this e-commerce website is driven by the events that uh, tell uh, f- uh, from the different modules uh, uh, and drive a change in the state of, for example, of an order. Now you create an order, you add items to an order, then you pay, then the payment starts the the the, the shipment process, and so on.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so when when you were when you're learning about their story, was there any challenges as well that you that you learned about?
1: Uh, yeah, the, the 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 some of the challenges uh, that I shared before with observability, of course, and in their case also the the, the, the scale that they that they reach. Uh, they, they they use lots of AWS services, uh, and they really sometimes uh, give you feedback that really helps you think. Oh, we really need to add this feature. We really need to add this so that it's. Easier, easier to use. Uh, for example, before they start to think in this uh, more clean, I would say, event-driven uh, way, uh, they used uh, another service from AWS that is called uh, Simple Notification Service SNS, and they had to create lots of topics. Uh, SNS is a pub-sub uh, s- a service where you publish on a topic, and then you can register multiple listeners to this topic. Uh, but when you have lots of different events, the result of using SNS is that you have so many different topics, each one uh, broadcasting information on a different, uh, of a different kind of event. Uh, and more recently, we launched a service. Uh, it was launched in July last year. I think it's called Amazon Event Bridge that is a serverless event bus. And there they, they can really, they could really simplify the architecture because you can create a single event bus with lots of different events. As I said before, no, you, know, you created the order, you, uh, acknowledge the payment you start the shipping of the order and so on and you can create rules and depending on the rule that can analyze the content of the event you can trigger actions like uh the payment start the payment process start the shipment process and so on
0: yeah wow and and so that's a uh, the ventbridge service that came out they they integrated that in replacing sns
1: yes so it's uh uh, I talk with Shin a lot about this, but uh, it, of course, you don't want to completely change a, a production a, a architecture uh, without uh, also a business reason, not, not just an architectural reason. So they're working uh, to replace this by opportunity. And it's uh, as they are doing so, they are simplifying the architecture. And I would say that probably uh, this is really a general topic for serverless. Every time you, you, you help. Simplify an architecture, it's a step closer to be more serverless.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, really, that's a really important concept. And I think one thing that you pointed out as well is that, you know, you should have a business reason behind making these changes. Um, it can be from the outside looking at like serverless and being like, you know, let's, uh, let's make this new initiative, let's start building something. Um, and then there could be so many different options and pathways to go down um, when you first look at it as they kind of change the name to almost like serviceful. Um have you heard that word being tossed around? Serviceful, you mean? Yes.
1: Yes, this is uh one of the different uh, uh I would say uh naming possibilities for serverless. I think one common thread for everything that is being like a serverless conference in the in the last three years is always let's find a better name. <laughs> uh but I think it, it, it gives you an idea. So for me serverless is uh is removing complexity making things that normally require uh, to spend the energy of, of 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 the developers and the architects in may, maybe managing configurations, managing uh, the uh, security updates for the operating systems, for example, all these kind of things that are super critical but don't really add uh, a specific value because it's something that everybody has to do. So when you start uh, thinking a little bit long-term, uh, the idea is really, can we focus our energy in building the feature that I, I want to give to my customers, not everything that is around this feature? And and uh, and, and, and that's where normally we see customers also adopt serverless. So another an example, of, for example, that I really like is Comic Relief here in the UK. You know, they are a, a non-profit company and they were late with a, a feature like a sort of photo catalog of the people donating money for their calls. And, uh, and uh, they normally were using PHP and Drupal, classical you no know, sort of monolithic architecture. And the people on the team say, maybe we, we don't have time to do this, but maybe we can play with some technology that we learned more recently on our own time. Uh, so not for, for, for the job, but because they were curious. So they played with React in the front end. They played with... Uh, uh, lambda not js in the backend and they hacked a solution in a, in, a, in a in a couple of days and one of the benefit of uh, of using a service service serviceful architecture when you use lambda for example for the the business logic you use uh, s three for the storage you use DynamoDb for the database is that uh, lots of security and scalability is already built in so if you build a prototype and and you validate the prototype, and then bringing the prototype in production is much much easier because you have probably now uh, half of the security and half of the scalability already part of the of the development.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's uh, yeah, that's really interesting. So, um, I guess like uh, leading into that, with the with kind of the new trends that you're starting to see people do, uh, what are you seeing as like uh, serverless for twenty twenty, and how does that look to you? Yeah. Uh,
1: as I said before, what I like of serverless is it's continuously developing into new features, new 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 possibilities. I think every year, not things that were complex to do the year before are are easier, and we see adoption. So probably in the last couple of years, I've seen more real time application because we have web sockets, we have uh, things like the you can set the provision concurrency of Lambda functions now to 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 really be able to 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 respond in in, a, in a almost real time, I would say. Uh, so for this year, things that I'm focusing on and I'm currently working with a few customers are machine learning. Uh, so I, I think there will be more adoption of serverless technologies in machine learning. I'm more focused now in the inference space. So when you have a trained machine learning model that does some prediction, how to serve this prediction in a easy, scalable, and low cost way, and there's already customers using Lambda, but it's not super easy because of the classical limits that you have when you deploy a Lambda function, like the size of the function. Uh, and, and it's something that I'm working with customers and bring back feedback to the product teams. So, probably machine learning is something that it's going to grow in the next few years. Uh, and then another thing that I'm, I'm really reasoning a lot now is networking. Uh, if, you, if you use Lambda functions, you know that. In the past, if you connect a Lambda function to a, a virtual private cloud, a VPC, as we call it in mean, AWS, it's, it's your own virtual networking, it will it, it could have uh, a slow configuration time when you, uh, when we create the first environment to execute the function. So it's what normally people call a cold start. So sometimes you have a function that is very slow because we have to create a new environment and connect this network on the fly, and then it would take a few seconds. So this part has been completely uh, re- rebuilt. Uh, it's now this delay is in the configuration uh, on the, in the control plane. So when you configure a lambda function uh, the f- the configuration can take some time, but then when you execute the function you don't have this slowness anymore. Uh, but a side effect of this is that in the future I think the networking of serverless application will become more complex because now people can re- use more sophisticated networking and create their own Subnet connect functions to different subnet, and then from a, a function you may want to connect to a database that is maybe in another virtual private cloud. Uh, so uh, again, what I see as a, uh, I foresee is that probably networking will become more complex for serverless, and every time something becomes more complex, we have to find a way to make it simpler again. And in this space, for example, if if you if you uh, work in the container space, you may are aware of service mesh of service mesh architecture. In AWS, we also have a service now, AWS App Mesh, uh, where you can manage, configure uh, using the open-source Envoy proxy, uh, a sort of sidecar proxy for uh, your containers. Uh, And more recently, we integrated Lambda in the open-source Envoy proxy uh so i I really think that the service mesh space for service architecture is something that is going to simplify networking in in the future to move networking from pure infrastructure like this i p address needs to talk to this i p address to more application level networking so this software module needs to be able to talk to this software module uh and and in this way things can be much easier to deploy in in production in different environments.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's great. Um, so on the machine learning front, um, people using Lambda functions, having a model or something load into it. Um, and he said that this is a trend that you see uh, developing further. Are there, are you seeing people starting to use, uh, Lambda functions with machine learning as like a dev environment or a test environment and then keeping their, their production off of Lambda? Or are you seeing them move entire, uh, workloads to Lambda for machine learning?
1: I've seen a few customers move their entire workload to Lambda for the machine learning inference. So to to serve the machine learning model, and and the reason is not the the, the scalability and the, and the fact that you really pay for what you use. Sometimes machine learning is introduced in a project, and you really don't know how many people will uh, will use this feature, maybe publicly or inside a, a company. Um, thinking of a microservices architecture where people may call your service or not. You don't know the volumes. So all this uncertainty normally is something that uh, brings you to think in a more serverless way because uh, you don't have to pay for fixed cost and everything is paid on, on, on demand. And uh, so customers are starting to do so, but all the limits that we currently have are making things slow. The reason why I don't see lots of customers use this only in test is because you really need to reengineer the, the the function to to work with large machine learning models. So if you do so for testing, then and then you have a different architecture in production, probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah,
0: no, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, no, I know that the uh, machine learning models before, um, sorry, machine learning servers that you would run, like P3s or P2s or something, um, when you're working with like really big workloads, um, having a Lambda function that can just turn off and on and then determining whether or not it's actually a valid pursuit or not, or if you actually need something larger or if your use case breaks. So I guess like when you think about um, how people build applications in 2020, uh, do you encourage them to start with serverless and then decide whether or not their use case needs something different?
1: I I think that uh, serverless can really help, especially in the initial phase when you you need to build uh, the, the, the core idea of, of the product you want to build. That's why I, I strongly suggest think serverless. And in my view, serverless is not is not an off on off switch. It's not that okay, Lambda is serverless and this uh, anything else is not or something like that. I think uh, serverless really means to reduce your uh, exposure to operational complexity. And anything that you do in development is one thousand times more complex when it's in production. So it's very easy to install your own database in a container When in a development environment. It's much more complex to manage the same database in production with customer using it when you need to take the backup, you, you need to maybe change the schema if it's a relational database uh, on the fly uh, without screen uh, interruptions. So uh, if you start serverless and you start to, to think, you now with a clean sheet, uh, everything is uh, stateless, uh, my database is super simple. I use, for example, a tool like DynamoDB uh, that that it doesn't have a, flat, a fixed schema, so I can update it uh, during my prototyping phase very quickly. Uh, then everything is much easier. Also, when you move it in production, so thinking serverless helps you build the idea and bring the idea in production. That's why I suggest it as the the, the first the first choice. And uh, and we have lots of customers that. Uh, after they get this benefit, they they start to work in this way. So serverless is the first choice, and then if they see that, that for a specific use case they don't have the experience or it's too complex, then they move into a more traditional architecture.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think we're coming to time, and um, I, I'd, I'd like to give you an opportunity if you have any any things, any initiatives, or if there's any events out there that you wanted to uh, promote or or talk about.
1: Oh well, we're living in unprecedented times, so uh, uh, we, as a AWS, canceled all our uh, in-person events. So stay tuned because we are going to launch lots of uh, events online uh, that you can follow from the safety of your of your home. Uh, And uh, and now considering this period, my my focus is really to help people uh, build what they want to build, stay focused. So if you need any help and ideas. Uh, optimizing your costs, reducing your costs on AWS, or uh, simplify what you're building, just ping me. You can find me on any channel, uh, in uh, in social media, uh, and I'm happy to help.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, I think that does it for our episode. Uh, thank you, Danilo, uh, for being our guest.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. And then to those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show and want to know more, check out Talkingserverless.io or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And of course, join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic guest.